back on the road. We've just been marvelling at the price of fuel. How much did it cost to fill up a tank? About $28 versus about 70 euros it cost me to fill up a car in, in Italy this summer. This is Food Trippin'. You're listening to me, journalist Anastasia Miari, on a road trip through America's deep south. Food Trippin' is a podcast that takes me out into the world by car, boat, or train. I take a friend along the way, and en route, we discover the lesser-known regions of our planet through food. In this series, my friend Iska Lupton and I hit the deep south of the USA for shrimp and grits in North Carolina to the drive-ins of Tennessee and Mississippi. We continue onwards to a gumbo of food influences in Louisiana and then on to Texas for some real Tex-Mex. The reason for this trip? This podcast is all about discovering places through food. Other than burgers and club sandwiches, I really have no idea what American food culture is all about. What better way to find out then than going to the deep south? In this episode, we're reveling in convenience here in America. From the ease of drive through culture to fast food and convenience cooking, the sheer deliciousness of the stuff we know we absolutely shouldn't touch. Think fake cheese and spicy fried chicken. I'm so glad you came today. We're going to be making muffins here in my kitchen in Tennessee. My children call me grandmother, and I would like you girls just call me Westdale. That's my middle name, and that's the name I go by. This has been a real pleasure to meet you girls. Come on in and let's make the muffins. This is nonagenarian Westdale. She's lived in a quiet, picket-fence-lined pocket of Shelbyville, Tennessee, all her life. We're making muffins together, the sweet, pillowy kind, also known as American muffins. Okay, so we've got four eggs that are going in and being whisked right now. How do we know when the eggs are ready? Um, they have a lighter color. Yeah. And see, they look uh, more yellow. Yeah. Now, what I do now is I put the buttermilk in. Raisin bran over there. How much of that has just gone in? Of the whole box. We're going to put the whole thing in? Uh-huh. Oh 15, my goodness. 15 ounces. Are they going in as well? Four. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Now, five. You wonder how you'll ever get five cups of uh, moist, you know, with just a quart of buttermilk. Mm-hmm. How long have you been making these muffins? Long time. <laughs> Can you remember the first time you made them? Probably. Probably in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're baking cranberry and brown flake muffins with Westel for breakfast, and she's insisting that the average Americans 
just don't eat well anymore. I think, I think, uh, I hate to say this, but it's true. Uh, there are a lot of mothers that are too lazy to get up and fix meals for their children. And I think that is just a sin to send kids off school without anything to mm -hmm, eat. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think that's just a sin. I eat really well. I, I believe in having um, um, proteins and, uh, and and even though I live by myself, I eat, I eat very well. I have chicken in the crock pot now to make chicken salad and mm. something. And I've just always cooked and, and uh, so many of my friends that are maybe 10 or 12 years younger than I am, and they don't cook. Mm -hmm. They go out to eat every meal. And I go out and eat some because I have friends that, you know, it's just fun to do that. Even Westell uses what would be considered processed foods in her muffins. The bran flakes in her muffins have been through an industrial process. Despite being a great source of fiber, they're not the purest form of whole grain wheat. They contain added sugar and salt. This way of cooking isn't dissimilar to Darcel from earlier in the episode, who used a ready-made, shop-bought pie base for her lemon ice box pie. You would need a graham cracker crust pie shell. You will also need five to six lemons, five will do. And you will also need a can of condensed milk. We rustled up a no-bake lemon ice box pie with Nashville native Darcel, who bought a graham cracker base or pie shell, as she calls it, from Walmart for her pie. Cooking with Westell and Darcel in Tennessee got me thinking about convenience. Everywhere we go in America, we're met with solutions to make our life easier. There's the obvious drive-through, enabling us to wheel in and out of our favorite fast food joints without getting out of the car. Even some hotels we stay in have golf buggies so we don't have to walk the 50 meters from our suite to the restaurant. When it comes to cooking, it's no different. This is Darcel talking about a favorite dish of her kids. And I'm gonna tell you something, my sons will not let a woman cook for them. Who else, sorry? They will not let a, man, a woman cook for them. Really? Not my boys. They wow. cook for themselves. They cook for themselves. Cook for the woman. They, they cook for the woman. Anything, if they don't know how, they'll call their mama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's one of your sort of classic dishes then? It is chicken tetrazzini. Chicken tetrazzini? It sounds Italian to me, but actually, chicken tetrazzini is a pasta dish attributed to the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York in the early 1900s. And it gets its name from the Italian opera singer Luisa Tetrazzini. I think the only Italian thing about this dish is its name, and perhaps the spaghetti. Chicken Tetrazzini is their favorite. What's a dramatic what is that? What is that? It's just chicken shredded, or you can cube it, however. Um, spaghetti. Tetrazzini appeared in Good Housekeeping for the first time in 1908 saying readers could find the dish of cooked turkey in a cream sauce with spaghetti, grated cheese, sliced mushrooms and breadcrumbs on top at the restaurant on 42nd Street. Darcel uses chicken in hers, and it seems there's no standard way of making it. What I find most interesting is the way Darcel makes the creamy pasta sauce that's typical of Tetrazzini. Cream of mushroom soup, cream of celery soup, cream of chicken soup. You mix that together, the cream of chicken soup. Okay, 
So we've got a tinned mushroom soup, celery soup and chicken soup, all mixed up in a pot then added to a bigger pot of pasta. That's then put into a tray in the oven along with bits of shredded chicken, plus grated cheese on top for a nice melty finish. It's definitely not what we'd call a meal cooked from scratch, but it's not McDonald's either. Put your cheese in there, stir that up, then you, after your pasta's done, you know, you drain it, you put that in there. Also, stir it up. Let your chicken be the last thing that you put in there, okay? Because mm -hmm. when you shred or if you got it chopped up, however you do it, um, then you let that be the last thing that you put in there. And every bite, you're tasting chicken. <laughs> you run it in the oven, by the time it brown on top. And you bake it. Just uh, let your cheese melt on top, mm -hmm. and it's done automatically. Mm. And that's what they like. Mm. It's undeniable. Sometimes the naughtiest things are the nicest tasting, and who does naughty but nice better than the Americans? We don't get a chance to taste ourselves Tetrasini because we're off in search of another American food that's super famous. Fried chicken, with an extra Nashville kick. Spicy fried chicken, or hot chicken to locals, is Nashville's claim to culinary fame. You can find it everywhere here, from fancy restaurants like Husk, to casual roadside eateries. Uh, you're in a bit of a mess there, what's going on? <laughs> Here we're at Prince's, the oldest spot to get a good piece of spicy chicken in a bun. Well, it's sort of leaked aioli, juicy chicken juice everywhere. But I don't know, maybe that's a sign of a good burger in America. If, it, if you get messy, then it's good. It kind of reminds me of a spicy chicken burger at school. It's hot, heavy and indulgent, not a flavour you forget easily. The crispy fried chicken crust is spiked with a heady mix of cayenne pepper, sugar and paprika. It's served on a doughy white bun and the bread soaks up the juices, making it even hotter. Then there's the spicy grease layer left over on my lips, letting that heat linger. Hot chicken has been around in Nashville since the 1930s and it has a funny origin story. Well, they call me chicken queen. This is Andre Prince. She's the owner of Prince's here in Nashville, and she's the niece of the man credited for making hot chicken a thing here. <laughs> Almost 90 years ago, women didn't really voice their feelings, but they acted it out. Hot chicken was supposedly born out of a woman that became increasingly suspicious of her partner, Thornton Prince III. He kept coming home later and later at night, so she suspected he was cheating on her. One evening, she decided to get her own back, so she made him his favourite fried chicken. But it wasn't the usual crispy chicken that Thornton had expected that landed on the table. She spiked it with an insane amount of hot chili. Served him right? He actually loved it so much that he put it on the menu at his barbecue chicken shack, and a Nashville legend was born. The crispy chicken skin has arrived um, with the spicy sweet potato sauce on it. Um, it looks like something they've done for Halloween. These plates are so beautiful. Yeah, the plates are very nice. Like, I like that they've left chips in them as well. Very thick, hand-spun china with chips. Not the edible type. Here we're at Husk, 
The restaurant in Nashville known for elevating southern dishes like shrimp and grits, burgers, and our new favorite thing, fried chicken with an extra spicy kick. Go on then, are you going to have one? Yeah, I'm a bit scared to be honest. It looks... Oh, they're very crispy. I'm just going to... Yeah, I think you use your hands. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is fun. Mm, really tasty. Yeah. Into that. Into the texture. Okay, so it's it's not just... I thought it would just be some, like dried chicken skin, but it's obviously fried in a batter. Mm-hmm. Which is actually really good. And it has this amazing spicy sweet potato sauce drizzled on it. It looks like orange icing. Mm. It's got a Halloween vibe, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to say it looks like it, they've done it for Halloween. but um, It's quite hard to do this without my lip balm on. Why? So sore. Why don't you put your lips in this buttery lard? Oh, what a great idea, <laughs> not... <laughs> To get here, we've driven through rolling hills, dense with woodland, and all around us the leaves are changing colours. It's a palette of deep oranges, burgundy, purple, autumn like I've never seen it before, a complete explosion of colour. Our spicy chicken skins have been served in the same tones, with this spicy sweet potato sauce. The restaurant's more refined take on a big old piece of hot chicken. I don't know which I prefer most. I kind of loved my spicy chicken bun at Prince's, the Nashville hotspot that's credited as being the very first place to serve fried chicken. It's just how it's meant to be. It's served through a hatch, fatty, greasy, and undeniably delicious. No frills southern food at its best. Here we are, back at Prince's, sampling the spicy chicken burger. I've decided to have it without the bun, the skinny version. Sorry, Iska literally sounds like she's blowing on the mic here. We really don't have the hang of this recording thing yet. Um, just more so I can really pay my full attention to the chicken without the distraction of bun fat. I'm into it. Um, and the, most, the thing I'm tasting most is the American cheese, which is processed cheese. Ah, <sighs> American cheese. A bright yellow square of melty, sticky naughtiness. Almost a caricature of cheese, so faux, and yet so good on a bun with some meat. We're completely intrigued by American cheese, so we spend the next five minutes on YouTube watching how it's made. What you have is the hot processed cheese is being pumped from the other room into the extruder. Oh wow. Do you want to describe that? I can't think why anyone in the world would want to make that. It's milk whey, milk fat, milk protein concentrate, whey protein, salt. There's no real cheese in American cheese. That's not strictly true. It does contain dairy product, but it's definitely not as cheesy as it used to be. It used to be made from a blend of cheeses like Colby and cheddar. Now it's a mix of milk, milk fats, milk fat solids, other fats, and whey protein concentrate, plus a bit of food coloring for that sunshine yellow glow. So that's why the labels we keep coming across in supermarkets here in America read cheese product or American singles. It's so as not to get into any legal messiness. 
They can't really say it's cheese when it isn't cheese. Hey, Dad. Did you know Kraft American Singles have double the calcium of many other American slices, plus vitamin D, which together help me have strong bones and teeth when I grow up. Just don't grow up too fast. Kraft American Singles, double the calcium, now with vitamin D. Kraft Singles, good food to grow up on. It might be called American cheese, but it was actually in Switzerland that Walter Gerber and Fritz Stettler, who called themselves the cheese alchemists, first heated up Emmental with sodium nitrate on a mission to craft a cheese with a longer standing shelf life. Mm, convenience. So the sodium nitrate gave the American cheese this extra melty quality. That was in the 1910s. In the US around the same time, James Lewis Kraft was doing something similar, experimenting with a warm cheese that was easier to slice and to distribute. And here's how that cheese looks today. It's called simply Kraft Cheddar and Kraft Colby. And instead of wheels, it's packaged for convenience. And you don't have to see the man on the wagon, just the name on the package to know it's good everyday cheese. Kraft's business was in buying cheese in huge quantities and selling it locally. He was looking for a cheese with a long-lasting shelf life that could travel. So, American cheese was made out of this pioneering attitude to convenience. And it really did benefit Americans in many ways. During the First and Second World War, processed Kraft cheese, patented in 1916, was a form of sustenance for American troops. Kraft's processed cheese quickly became a huge success. The U.S. Army bought six million pounds of it during World War I, and millions of pounds more during World War II. In between came a product welcomed by families struggling to make ends meet during the Great Depression. And though cheese purists may argue that processed cheese isn't real cheese, that's hardly hurt its popularity. America spells cheese, it's K-R-A-F-T. When it comes to simplicity, practicality, and a long shelf life, processed cheese stands alone. What's the future for American cheese, though? According to reports from Bloomberg, sales have been flagging for years. It turns out people are after a more wholesome, less processed cheese to add to their burgers. And although 40% of US households still buy Kraft Singles, sales are kind of falling flat. Fast food places like Wendy's, Cracker Barrel, Panera, even McDonald's, all these spots we keep driving by, they're offering real cheese alternatives to the faux stuff. And the result, sadly for American singles, has been higher sales. So, American cheese might sadly be on its way out. But another American convenience is definitely not going anywhere. Can I take your order? Yeah, hi, I'll take that turkey sandwich, the one with the bacon, the ham, and the Dijon horseradish sauce. That's like not on our menu. Not only is it not on your menu, it's not even on your radar screen. You roll in on four wheels, stick your head out the window, place your order by speaking into a machine, get your food delivered instantly, and then you roll on. What's more convenient and more American than the drive-through? We we in the car on our way to Memphis. Why you miss out the? 
Because <laughs> that's how we say it. We in the car. We in the car. We in the car. In the car. I'm... This is the common vernacular. Please excuse our terrible American accents here. We've been on the road together a few weeks now with only each other for company. You gotta keep things silly or you just get bored. Oh my god, I think it's a... Voice automated order service. That's exciting. We're, we had a choice of a Subway, Taco Bell, McDonald's. what's that, Sumac Liqueurs, Sudden Service, Wendy's, McDonald's, Cracker Barrel, what else? Anyway, we went Super 8, not sure what that is. Super 8 turns out to be one of the biggest motel chains, and we do end up staying in a number of Super 8s along our route. We went for Dunkin' Donuts because the sign is very recognizable, even to our English eyes. If we keep talking like this, we're never going to swap out of it. I know, right, girl? <laughs> I like it, though. Do you? I think it makes me sound much friendlier. <laughs> I'm excited to order, but I'm worried my accent's going to go when I have to order. <laughs> I can't wait to order. So I should explain. We're sat in a drive-in. Uh, it's a drive-in Dunkin' Donuts. And we're excited because this is the first experience of a drive-in. Very obvious that it was Iska's first experience because she tried to drive past all the cars that were waiting in the line. Well, I didn't see the queue. <laughs> it ain't a queue, it's a line, honey. So we're finally in line, parked up behind a load of other cars after Iska just tried to drive past them all on her way to the front, which is, I think, really bad drive-through etiquette. We're clearly novices at this, but we're having a lot of fun discovering the wonders of the drive-through on our way to Memphis. Do I shout from here? I think you do. Hello? <laughs> what can I get for you? Um, one coffee, please. Do you have tea? Or do you have, is it possible to just have a, a cup of milk? We have Westell's brown muffins in the car for the drive, perfect with a glass of milk. We have whole milk and thin milk, and then we have almond milk. Oh. One cup of whole milk and one Americano coffee, please, both small. Okay, so you want an American an Americano coffee and a, and a I don't milk. know if we're confusing her with our order here or if the system just makes it really hard for us to hear each other. Americano with milk in it? Yes, please. What size? Small. I think she thinks milk. All right, is that going to be all for you tonight? Uh, and the milk. I want a whole cup of milk, like a small cup of milk. Okay. So is that are. okay? So the coffee and the milk are the same size. Milk and cookies style. Thank you. Gotcha. She got ya. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, and now we have pulled up to the little window. God, isn't this simple? Much easier than getting out of the car, isn't if it? If I change my accent now, do you think she'll think it's a different person? Yeah. Sorry? 2.51? Okay. Didn't have time to change. Where do we get our drinks from? Oh, there they are. I can't express how much our minds are blown by this drive through experience. It seems so basic, but it's just not what we're used to back home. We live in London and we never drive in the city. drive throughs for us are really just not a thing. And even stopping at a service station on the motorway in the UK, pretty much anywhere in Europe actually, it requires you to get out of the car. Thank you. 
milk. Oh my god, I got a whole cup of milk to eat my muffin with. It's back. My accent's back. <laughs> See ya. Bye, honey pie. Thanks for the coffee. Oh my god, that was our first drive for experience. How did you feel? Oh my god, you want to go Taco Bell? I, I can't believe these people stopped the boat. It's true. The enormous red truck trailing an American flag oh next god. to us went to Dunkin' Donuts and to Taco Bell. Double whammy. It's the ultimate convenience here in the US, being able to drive into anywhere and be served in your car. But it has me wondering, how did this culture of the drive through start? I hit 10 golf balls in the woods, my driver's in there too. My best drive all day long was to the drive through Did somebody say McDonald's? I always thought McDonald's was the pioneer of the drive-thru, probably for obvious reasons. McDonald's opened in 1948, serving 10-cents burgers through hatches. But it actually wasn't until over 20 years later, in the 1970s, that the first McDonald's drive-thru opened. The first drive-thru ever opened in 1948. It was a place called In-N-Out in California where five cooks worked behind glass walls. They took orders through an intercom and they served motorists through their car windows. But before the drive through was the drive in. The difference being that patrons drove in, were served in their cars and they stayed at the establishment to eat. They didn't drive off. Well, Harry, of course, what we're really uh, giving credit for is being the world's first drive in. And we were the first restaurant to be solely designed to serve people in their cars. And we also had the first drive-through window. Uh, we were one of the first to use neon and air conditioning, and also fluorescent lighting. So uh, we've had uh, been fortunate to have a lot of uh, important places in the history of the restaurant. That was an old CBS Morning Show interview with Richard Haley, an ex-owner of the pig stand in Texas, which was the first ever drive-in a hundred years ago in the 1920s. It was located on the highway between Dallas and Fort Worth in Texas. These guys started serving customers in their cars, with busboys taking orders through car windows and returning with piled up trays of burgers and fries while people ate from the comfort of their own cars. The whole thing seems to have taken off because it was a mutually beneficial setup. Patrons didn't have to get out of their cars to dine, and those working in restaurants could cut the number of employees so that their profits rose. Then, of course, the faster they served people in their cars, the more sales they could clock in a day. Hello Fast Food, pinnacle of American dining and a legacy that spread all over the world. So drive throughs in America are hugely popular, especially in more rural areas. And I grew up in a small town in Texas, and so almost everything had a drive-through option. I remember there was this one store that was a, a convenience store that was basically a garage that you drove into, and you could just point, okay, I want a bag of potato chips and a six-pack of beer, and the guy would put it in your car, and you would wow. pay him out your car window. This is Texan-born food writer, TV host, and recipe developer Laurel Evans. I'm speaking with her post-trip to understand the relationship between Americans and the drive through a little better. Americans are, well, let me say, rural, rural Americans are extremely attached to their cars <laughs> and to convenience, and they also eat at all times of day. 
So, and they want to have things at their fingertips. So when they're going to work and they want the coffee, they don't want to get out of their car. They want to drive through, get their coffee, and get in the car on the way to work. When they want a burger, they want it now. <laughs> they don't want to have to necessarily sit down at a table in a restaurant. There's a lot less formality around the ritual of consuming food in the United States. The drive through industry is enormous in the US. Wendy's reports generating 90% of its business via its drive throughs Other fast food outlets are currently at around the 70% mark, according to the New York Times. I mean, let's just take this in a minute. Most fast food outlets in America make most of their money through the drive through That's how revolutionary it has been. And it's also changed the types of food that Americans eat in terms of fast food. Burgers, the, the pinnacle of American dining, I mean, it's what I think of when I think of America. They became popular because of the drive through You can eat them with one hand and you can drive with them, though I wouldn't advise it. Even car design changed. Most cars post-1980 are made with inbuilt cup holders. That's all because of the drive through if I had a personalised car, when I have, I will make the glove compartment refrigerated. What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely genius. <laughs> You're going to say ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so happy you agree. No, I think it's absolutely genius. <laughs> I, I can't believe I haven't thought about the possibility of that happening. You keep in there. Beers and Oh, no, not beer, as we're driving. Oh, yeah, Why do I have to keep telling you this? Um, what would I keep in my glove compartment? I, I'd love to just have like a dairy milk always there, just always ready to go. But the problem with that is I can't eat a dairy milk without having a cup of tea with it. Right, so you need to turn the gear stick into a hot water tap. <laughs> I think that would be so dangerous. <laughs> Maybe that's in the future when we yeah, don't need hang, gear sticks. You could hang your coffee cups, your tea cups from the um, rear view mirror. <laughs> Basically, what, we're just making a car into a kitchen. Fun. Yeah. And you could put your toast in the um, air vents on the yeah. temp. Mm. And then you've got your butter in the fridge. And, and then milk in the fridge. you could sort of have, a, have an extreme magnifying glass here. Like where you go in the windscreen. You're about to get an egg out. I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> then you could crack an egg here. So good. And you could basically just have your breakfast in your car as yeah. you're driving to work in the morning. I think we'll leave this one there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Food Trippin'. Plenty more where this came from. But in the meantime, why not try Darcel's super easy lemon icebox pie? It's now on the website foodtrippingpodcast.com not to be attempted while driving please hit subscribe for travel through the taste buds interviews with chefs home cooks and people who just love food and a bit of a nutty road trip thanking everyone that made this episode of food tripping so fun to produce that's ttm world and music city home cooks westell and darcel my fellow producer and editor faranisa campana and road trip buddy iska lupton this episode was reported and hosted by me, Anastasia Miari. Music in this episode came from Mixkit, Fesleyanstudios.com, Ben Sound, and Free Music Archive. 
Food Trippin' is a More Corners podcast made with Ink Studios.